and welcome to this week's edition of the Fit Finance Sessions with me, Henry Erston, Tim Webb and Tom Senegals. How are you chaps? Fantastic. Very well, very well, thank you. Excellent news. Um, today we've got a few things that we're just going to, to, to race through quickly. So Tom's got the fascinating subject of international tax legislation that he just wants to, to, to highlight. Uh, Tim's, Tim's going to do a little, uh, a little bit of an explanation about some of the insurance details that have been in the news. And then uh, it's suddenly coming um, highlighted in the press that negative interest rates um, might become a thing with the news this morning that um, the Bank of England has been talking to some of the banks about whether or not they're prepared. And I think Tom's going to give us a bit of an insight into what this might mean for your portfolios and your savings. Um, but Tom, let's talk about international tax, one of my fondest subjects. What have you been uh, reading about this this week? Um, there's new draft re regulations from the OECD. So the, it's a big group of countries that try and communicate with each other to, to, to come to sort of agreement on, on things like international corporate tax, because I think the world's changing. If you look at these big tech companies, it's quite hard to establish where they should pay the tax. And uh, it's, I think, it's becoming more politically motivated, particularly with the current environment, about um, where the tax has been paid and, and how. And there's been talk of a while, but there, there's progress now about a new framework, which should see, it, it might not change everything, but it should see countries sort of reaping an extra 4% of corporation tax. And whilst 4% doesn't sound much, then, when you talk about the numbers of uh, in terms of the tax bills and that that probably helps significantly um, particularly to countries that don't don't receive any of that tax take at the moment the the converse to that is they say if they don't get agreement then the the statisticians sort of suggest that that'll cost one percent of global income to to the world and that's because of um uh, trade disputes, trade wars around this sort of legislation. So it could be in terms of relating that to the markets, an extension of what we've seen with China and the US and the fallout from their trade war, but maybe not on as a bigger scale, but on a more global scale. And it really things like this hopefully can help push economic output and tax take going forward um, rather than sort of hinder the recovery that's that's already just started. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So, how's as you say? I mean, there's lots of news. <clears throat> although I haven't, I haven't seen it so much recently about <clears throat> Amazon and, and and places like that who try to to put themselves in an offshore account and then channel all their sales through the Luxembourg the Luxembourg office um, to shelter any tax liability to to the UK. Do, will that, do you think that's likely to continue though? Or, I don't know if Luxembourg are a member of the OECD. I think you're referring to what's called a Dutch sandwich or a double Dutch sandwich where, yeah, they, they go through different um, sort of legislations and one owns the, the internet intellectual property to X and, and these sort of convoluted systems. But yeah, it's just trying to stop so much of that happening. I think these companies are trying to pay as little tax as possible. That's, that's the aim of the game and generate more money for their shareholders, which ultimately... A lot of clients will have those investments within the portfolio, whether they agree with their tax um, habits or, or not. But yeah, it should hopefully create a more level playing field that isn't 
dominated so much about um, uh, by the US um, large tech companies. And, and there's a concern that um, smaller companies can't compete because they, they have such an advantage. Um, so it's trying to just level the playing field a bit. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I don't think many clients are going to um, be all that disappointed if they see Amazon getting leveled with a, with a sizable tax liability. And given the amount of stuff I bought through Amazon over the lockdown period, um, I suspect that just on my purchases alone, it's probably, a, or my wife's purchases alone, there would be several million pounds of tax due. Um, so <laughs> it'd be good to have some of that in the coffers. I'm sure Rishi needs it right now. Exactly. exactly. Um, and I guess the negative rates thing, I think, I, I'm not sure how far they'll go on that, but um, uh, I think... <laughs> I think they don't want to be left without a measure. I think if you if you've gone to rock bottom and and there's nowhere else to move, then that obviously creates um, a certain dynamic. So at least understanding the options of what would happen and whether it's feasible um, is worthwhile. But Tim, maybe you've got some extra info on there as well. What on the interest rates? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think well, from from as exposed to it as I've been, I get more of this. Uh, like an exploration of the option rather than more serious consideration of it. I think, I think yesterday we has been asking um, banks, you know, how prepared are you for it? But I think it's just as far as that really, it's just to sort of know, do we have this realistically in our arsenal? Um, and rather than it being more, more focused on that, but um, yeah, no, that, that was about was it, other than what you've already said, to be honest. On that. I think it's interesting, the negative interest rates, right? Because they've had negative interest rates in, in Europe now for for several years, and Japan's toyed with them over the last twenty years, I guess. Um, and I guess, to my mind, the risk is that you you reduce interest rates, but it gives us it it gives, which hopefully provides economic stimulus to drive things forward. But it also removes any crutch you might have in the future um, if we have any other shocks. You know, there's another COVID or another recession caused by something else. And, and by reducing interest rates, typically that was always a measure that you would use to stimulate the economy. But if interest rates are already negative, what's, what's the next step and what do you use at that point in order to try and stimulate um, stimulate economic recovery? Um, and whilst I appreciate that at the moment, um, quantitative easing QE has been a pretty big thing, I just wonder whether or not continuing that policy, um, whilst interest rates are relatively low anyway, um, might be a wiser way um, because it just gives you a little bit of interest rates on, on bank accounts and stuff like that. I mean, it's a pretty, it's largely meaningless, the interest that you collect from banks now, but I just think spinning them negative sends a completely different message out um, to the population. And it, I'm not convinced it's actually going to do an awful lot of good. Yeah, it depends on where that money goes ultimately. If the whole point before was okay we reduce interest rates that reduces the cost of debt and then hopefully that money gets spent elsewhere on, on the economy but it, if it doesn't go into that um, zone then th there's an issue there and also it can lead to more and more people going into more risk assets or taking on even more debt so there, there's something to be concerned there ultimately bond prices will go up if um, if, if rates go down um, you would think they're not going to stay negative for, for long. And I think that always when they go to negative rates, it's, it's seen as a temporary measure. But I think the reality is 
with rates are so low, countries have just got to bite the bullet and start spending money. You look at Germany sat on a massive surplus. They've just got to start spending and, and do fiscal stimulus. It's all well and good promoting austerity, but um, you've got to fight your way out, not um, uh, get into a Japan scenario where everyone's fearful to spend because they, they think it'll be cheaper tomorrow. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Better to have higher inflation, spend more. We could all do with better transport or broadband and, and actually provide things that are useful rather than a, an extra 50 quid off my mortgage payment each month. It's um, You'd rather develop the businesses of the future that actually deliver the, the economic output to, to move the world forward. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I quite agree. And uh, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be fascinating to see whether it does happen. I have got a suspicion that they're going to try and push it through. When you start asking the questions, to my mind, that means you're planning to do it. Um, but but I think you're absolutely right. We need we need people to be spending money. Whether or not HS2 is the right thing to be spending money on, but it's it's certainly you know broadband around you know the countryside and places like that. I think Oakham is all, it's online now, isn't it? I think you've you've been connected to the World Wide Web up there. Um, yeah, we're for yeah. <laughs> A few less potholes would go and go and miss. I think right. Why not? We need an extra lane for all the horses and carts. Um, <laughs> Tim, talk to us about insurance. What's been happening uh, there? No, no, very brief piece. Um, uh, just, I mean, I don't know how you guys have, uh, have experienced about this period, but I've had a lot of discussions with clients about insurance naturally off the back of this situation where. Yeah, people have looked inward and um, realised the importance of it or the importance of insurance has been sort of reaffirmed to them. But I saw this morning that Lloyd's, um, so for those that don't know, Lloyd's obviously sort of the, the mummy and daddy of, of the insurance world um, and have actually you know, 90, 90 different syndicate members sort of come down beneath them, beneath Lloyd's. Um, but they're looking at sort of a more wider spread a review of the entire insurance market itself. Um, how deep it is, I'm not, not entirely sure at this particular stage. I think it's more sort of just the, the actual the products that are being sold and the language in particular, which um, is being used to, to sell them. They've even called, called it a linguistics review of policy documents. So, <laughs> I mean, pretty much everybody I speak to, um, one of the main things that they have problems with is quite simply just digesting and translating what on earth is it they're actually looking at. Um, so hopefully that, at the very least, will be will be solved or at least eased. Um, but yeah, and I'm just a little piece just to remind anybody who's, who's listening on, on insurance is, um, whether it be life cover, clearly critical illness, income protection, to, to have a look at those things. And clearly this year has been a, a reminder as to why they're actually useful. Um, but yeah, that, that was exactly. it. And I've, I've seen this I've certainly you know, with COVID, uh, going around, I've seen an uptick in interest in taking out or reviewing life insurance and critical illness policies, and, and I suspect it comes because people suddenly understand and recognise their own, uh, you know, mortality or, or what have you, and and actually, crumbs. I've better make sure that I've got the right cover in place. Um, yeah. But you're right; it is tricky. I mean, especially I find um, critical illness policies really tricky because every policy has different conditions that are covered. Um, so some of the some of the more comprehensive policies will cover what, 120, 250 different conditions, perhaps. 
and the very basic ones only, I think, 29 conditions are what the uh, ABI stipulates has to, has to be covered in a particular mm. policy. So I suppose for those out listening, well worth, if you've got life insurance or, or critical illness or income protection, it's well worth having a review and looking into those policies to see what they cover um, and indeed to see whether or not the policies can be um, provided for, for, for cheaper um, because there has been quite a lot of competition amongst the life insurers recently to, 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 to pull prices down, which has been, been great for a number of my clients. I, th I think particularly those older policies, they, they tended to just have the basic basic conditions covered, whereas there's been a sort of big change even in the last two years to move to uh, slightly more comprehensive. And then it's then it's understanding, OK, well, which bits um, can I have on top? But, but equally, we, we see quite often one person won't be able to get sometimes cover at all with one insurer, but then you speak to another and they'll, they'll quite happily take it. They, they've all got very different underwriting limits. And I think it's um, it, it can be a bit of an ordeal, but um, if you do it right first time, then um, you, you don't want to be getting it wrong at, at the other end of the, the policy when you're looking to claim. Um, so yeah, definitely worth reviewing. Yeah, that's right. Don't, yeah. <laughs> Tell the truth is what you're saying, Tom. <laughs> anyway, I think that's it for us this week. I hope you, I hope you enjoyed uh, what you heard. Um, as ever, if you've got any comments, please do let us know. Um, but for now, until next week, goodbye. Thank you.